gone up and down in strength and dedication to the cause. See that all through the Word of God. One day you feel like you're taking everything. Next day you don't even know if you exist. The church is around. It seems at times that the church would decay to a point where would just be a shell of itself and almost disappear through history. Now, I believe you and I, in this day and age, in 2023, this is one of those times that it just seems to be where is the church. But in those times, the Lord chooses ordinary people to strike a match. Ordinary Joes. Ordinary people. To recognize the warning signs. To answer the call and to step up to the challenge. Ordinary folks. So don't you dare let your mind blink out and say, oh, that was Paul, and that was John, and that was Abraham. They were ordinary before God touched them. Just ordinary people. That's who God calls. For such a time as this, you and I, new hope, that's the reason we're here. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. Common. Amplified version says this. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience. Nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he has in the past and is now and I will always provide the way out as well. So that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. That's what the Word of God says. That's what your God backs. You and I often think, want to excuse our particular circumstances. Well, brother, it's never been this bad. That's not true. That's an excuse. God reminds us that our temptation or circumstance is not unique Not extra hard, common. That's the way it is. Common. Your personal one that you're in, corporate one as a church, as a body of believers, and with our country and the world, God said, it's common. It's not unique. It's not a time to throw in the towel and say, oh, well, fold up the sidewalks, and just wait. It's not true. Peter tells us this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. If you think this is weird and strange, the dispensation that you and I are living in and what we are experiencing now, then you don't know the Word of God. He says, Beloved, don't think this is strange, as though some strange thing happened to you. 
Many other men and women of God have faced the same similar circumstances that you and I are facing right now, and they found the strength in God to overcome their situation and to strike a match for God. They found it. Now here you and I are. Ecclesiastes says this in one nine, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, brother, I wish I was born back then. Nothing new under the sun. Tough then, tough now. So this is the spot the church finds itself in. We've been here before. What are we going to do? Oh, the odds. They got all the money, all the media, all the politicians, everything in their pocket. Nothing's right. Everything's wrong. And then I came across the prayer in Isaiah 63. We find him praying, in which Isaiah realizes this, what's going on, and asks, uh, Lord, what is going on? Where are you? Which maybe some of you have done, or are doing. Isaiah 63, 15 starts, New Living says this, Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. Where is the passion and the might you used to show on our behalf? Where is it, Lord? Where is it? Where are your mercies and compassion now? This is Isaiah the prophet praying to God. Verse 16 says, Surely you are still our father. Even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us, Lord, you would still be our father. You are a redeemer from ages past. Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you given us a stubborn heart so we no longer fear you? Return and help us. For we are your servants. The tribes that are your special possession. How briefly your holy people possessed your holy place. And now our enemies have destroyed it. Listen to 19. Sometimes it seems as though we never belonged to you. As though we had never been known as your people. Man, what a statement. What a heart. What a desperate situation Isaiah finds himself and his country in. As he sees what's going on and what's coming, he bellows out to God in prayer. Where are you? Hmm. Nothing's more clear to Isaiah than this, that God was withholding his power from them and from the church. Like today. God's holding it back. God's trying to say, you going to pay attention now? You're going to give me your attention now? You're going to come now, see me? Nothing's going, drying up. Everything's nuts. Just like then. Deuteronomy 31 says this. I just sent, listen, I sent this scripture to an unsaved person. 
He wrote back and said, I absolutely agree. The unsaved sees it. The unsaved understands this. Deuteronomy is like God says, I told you. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in the day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Unsaved person sent me a clip in the news and how the ridiculous laws and the things that they're saying. And I sent that scripture back to him. I said, this is what's going on. Unsaved, he said, oh, I agree. The unsaved see it. In order to maintain, listen, in order to maintain credibility in the world, the church has to have the power of God. We have to, or we're just another organization. Nothing's setting us apart. We're involved in a great spiritual warfare, and it's only God's power that's going to enable us to prevail. Only God's power. Keep this in mind. This, this portion in Isaiah, one would think the need for God would have to be to emphasize those who don't know him. You think, listen, those of you who don't know, you better best. But this passage is proof that it's God's people. He's talking to God's people. Become dangerously self-sufficient. Hardly pray, don't need to come. And your priorities prove this. Our priorities prove it. So God's water refreshment and crick dries up. Until we notice. And boy, Isaiah's going, where are you? Where's your compassion? Are we even conscious of how utterly helpless and hopeless we are apart from Christ? The American church, is it truly? Do we? Are we like that? Are we trying... To, uh, are we trying to be a church trying to fight in soul's armor? Oh, we have all kind of polish, but no power. We can look smart. But no power at all. God's looking for ordinary people. Don't be looking for some silver tongue evangelist on a white horse to come riding in. Ordinary folks. Isaiah goes on in 64 verse 1. Listen to this. Oh, that thou wouldst rent the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Isaiah is starting to get an understanding, man, we need God. Come down, Lord, come down. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. I mentioned this to someone at least six, seven months ago, and I told them I felt like the Lord showed me something as I was looking to the congregation that I had been preaching to, and it's as if the Lord showed me pots of water. Every one of you represented a pot of water. 
And I felt the Lord to tell me to keep preaching the Word of God. Some of them will start to boil. I wish all, but the Lord said some. Some shall start to boil. You keep turning up the heat. Verse 3, Isaiah goes on and says, O Lord, when thou didst terrible things, when we looked not for, that we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. How awesome would that be again, Lord? All of a sudden we see how Isaiah's prayer is changing. God, come down, come down, we need you. From where are you to, oh my gosh, God. How can you hear those babies and not think that? And you shrug that off. Well, what do you expect? What, what can we do about it? You can get a hold of God like you never did before. Oh, we, we can just pray. Listen to the words of Ian e. Bounds, tremendous man of God years ago. Reading a book of his for a while now on prayer. It says the wonders of God's power are to be kept alive made real and present and repeated only by prayer. Why are our kids wishy-washy? Why eight out of ten of them go to college, leave the faith? And they don't see nothing while they're growing up. They don't experience nothing. They don't feel the heat rising off of dead and he's seeking God. They don't hear anybody in the basement moaning and roaring out to God while they're trying to sleep as a little kid. Bound says the only way that stuff is passed on and on and on is through prayer. We can talk to her, we're blue in her face, and we have been doing that. He goes on and says, God is now not so evident in the world. He isn't. So almighty in manifestations as of old, not because miracles have passed away, but that's what some of us say, so it takes the heat off of us. Well, God doesn't do miracles anymore. I hope you never need one then. God is not so evident in the world, so almighty in manifestations as of old, not because miracles have passed away, nor because God ceased to work, but because prayer has been shorn or cut off of its simplicity, its majesty, and its power. Before we go, let's have a moment of silence. Listen to this. Listen to this one, please. David Wilkerson used to always say, give me your good eye and give me your ear, your best ear. God's only condition and limitation of prayer is found in the character of the one who prays. Um, according to your faith, According to the character of the one, do you believe I can do this? Or do you just flippantly throw up a prayer? Well, Lord, take care of my kids. It's the truth. It is. Don't miss that. God's only condition and limitation of prayer is found in the character of the one who's praying. 
Matthew 9, 28. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this? He put their character on, on notice. Do you believe I can do this? Even what I'm saying now and what I'm trying to preach now about ordinary men stepping it up and striking a match, do you believe God is able to do this? You have a part in this. It's your character that's going to decide how much gets done. Of course, these men said, yes, we do. Do you believe that I can melt mountains again? Do you believe that I can boil water again in this congregation? Cold water, unmoved water. Matthew 9, 29 says, Then touched he their eyes. He said, According to your faith be it unto you. According to your faith. Do you believe God can raise the dead? Raise a dead heart? Raise a dead church? Raise a dead nation? Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know. That's pretty big. I don't. There's this common is what God says. It's not so tough. God is more ready and more willing and more anxious to give the answer than man is, is to participating in asking. God's just up there, come ask, just ask. We don't. Amen. Or if we do, it's just, uh, and, and by the way, touch, um, I think it's Mike, touch Mike. Mm. Psalm 68.1 says, look at that great scripture, let God arise. This is a perfect time for God to arise in our nation. It's a perfect time. In other words, the psalmist is saying, man, let God come down. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. Listen, all that's going on and all the filth and the, all the powers against us, God says in verse 2, I man, it's like smoke driven away. When I come down, God said, it'll just drive it away like smoke. So drive them away as wax melts before the fire. So let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Ordinary people striking a match, taking God at his word, Believing it, stepping out in faith, going the extra mile. Those people, ordinary folks that sit there in a service like this and think, could I be used? Can me, God? Ordinary. Gideon. Ordinary. Hiding. Chicken, Gideon, hiding, trying to buy food, trying to get some special hiding. God uses him amazingly. Ordinary folks, that's you. That's me. We're just ordinary Asking God, God, come down. I believe we don't ask 
well, this is the dumb American gospel. Because they take it and they run and think that you should be asking for great possessions, houses and cars and boats and pools and junk. But God is a huge God. He wants us to ask big, big for getting the backslidden back, the people who have left God back, the heart sick, the broken lies, people bringing Jesus back. Man, all we need is God back. If you want miracles and you want the power and you want this and that, then just get God back. Get God back on the throne. When God walks into a situation or God walks into the church, you don't have to seek miracles and healings, financial blessings. Just get God back on the throne in the house of God. And it'll come. It comes with him. It's his character. It's who he is. He is power and life and a resurrection. Just exactly what we need. And what our kids need. David was nothing but a teenager. David went to youth ministry if they had one back then. Used by God to redeem and save a nation, a youth. All us adults stood there trembling, afraid, because Goliath was screaming. One youth. I always point that way because I think they're over there. One youth stood up. One normal, ordinary, not even thought of highly in his family. Because when it came to anoint, when David came to anoint, the, the father didn't even think of, oh, hurry up and go get him. They left him in the mountains. Now he's tending sheep. That ordinary David, that little kid, don't worry about him. Look at all these guys. I'm an ordinary man. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Bring your mountains to God. Bring them and start crying out and watch God melt them like wax. Numbers 10.35, New King James says, So it was when the ark set out that Moses says, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. Do you even believe that stuff when you pray? Do you ever pray like that? Do you ever say, rise up, oh God. Rise up in me, Lord. Make this dead heart alive, God. Give me strength, Lord. Let your spirit of God come upon me like it did Samson, Lord. So that you can be used by God. An ordinary person. And then go deliver your mail. Or go drive the truck, that, whatever job you have. Ordinary. You. Someone in here. Maybe four, maybe ten. Maybe the water will start to boil. God will start to do something. 
James 5 tells us over and over the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I've told you before, our Wednesdays is nothing I've ever seen in my life. Almost 50 years of serving God. Ordinary people praying, crying out to God. Come down, God. Oh, God, oh, God, my God, we need you. We need you now. How about Micah the prophet? He shouted out, I am full of power by the Spirit of God. Does he have a different spirit in him than you do? He has the real Holy Ghost and you have the Holy Ghost. God must like him more than you. Does any of that stuff line up with the word of God? So that what he has, you and I can have. We're not weak. We just act like we are. We do. We go into prayer defeated before we start praying. You aren't pumped to come. Maybe you're starting to get pumped to come. But most of the time we're not. A prayer is like a, I don't know, it's like a exercise program. Sometimes my son Jonathan, he goes to the boxing classes and this kind of class and that kind of class, and he'll say, oh my gosh, we got these today. Lunges, maybe. Maybe he calls them lunges and he doesn't even want to go because they're so hard. That's like us when it comes to pr- Prayer. If that changes in us and we start to understand what God has put in us and God is eagerly waiting to respond to us and he really gives us eyes to a lost and dying world where people are damned and going to hell, things will change. And I think they're changing. I'm at a point, especially with I was just mentioning this. I I get so excited over Wednesday, I think, just because it's the life I lived and all the various things I've attempted to do for the Lord. And and so I get so excited, and it's been going on for quite a while now, and now I'm at the point where I'm almost, I want to go, but I don't want to start seeing it slow down. I'm afraid you're going to stop. And so I want to do something about it, and then God tells me, you better back off. You're right, Lord. I'm not going to touch it. You do what you want to do with these people. You start boiling the water you want to boil. Next scripture, New Living. Joshua 10, 12 says, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory, Do you understand Joshua is an ordinary person? He's an ordinary dude. Now that we see this and what has happened through his life, we think, oh, he's just an ordinary person. And it was being used by God. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, the Lord did it. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still. An ordinary person. 
in the heat of the battle, doing a work for God, cries out. And the sun stops because of an ordinary person, a mother washing dishes, crying out. Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon. They just stopped. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel defeated its enemies. Where is that? Where are those prayers asking for God to do such awesome things? Unbelievable things. Mind-boggling things. What church is doing that? What believer is on their face crying out for that stuff to happen again. Man, when revivals happen, communities shut down. They shut down. Bars closed. People showed up at church. They just came. They didn't know where else to go. They were just being drawn and convicted. History records that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds showed up at the police station because all they knew that the one policeman would says was a well-saved man. And they were looking up somebody that knew God. And I remind you that Isaiah is jumping on the case of people who are supposed to know God. Not the person that I'm person I'm emailing back who doesn't. I actually emailed and went, well, we'll see what they say. I was stunned when it came back. Two words, three words. I believe that. So an ordinary man prays, attempting to do the will of God. And that's what you and I try to do. We do. We try to do the will of God. So here, here we go again, God. You want to give it a best shot? And because he prays, listen, the course of nature is altered. The planets are moved because one guy, clouds have to change and move and yield to an influence of prayer from an ordinary guy. Because a mere mortal prays. impossible. That's right. It was impossible until someone who had the character to believe in their God prayed and God went be it unto you. And the sun stopped. Anybody believe that? Today? Ordinary people. Hebrews 11.32 says, man, he goes, I can go on and on and on and talk all day about people. Ordinary people is what he's saying in my language. He goes, um, how much more do I need to say? He said, it, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of 
Gideon and Barak and Simpson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So we'd be here forever if I explained these ordinary people to you and what they did. Gideon boldly destroyed idols and was mightily used by God to defeat a much larger army. A larger army. Yet he was also a man who doubted God's word to him at first and repeatedly asked for confirmation. Lord, if you let a car backfire, I'll believe it's you. Boom. Lord, if you let a car, a white Chevy, backfire. Boom. God used them. There was no mighty Gideon. Not until God touched them. Not until God started to use them. Barak. He led the people of Israel in a dramatic victory over the Canaanites, Canaanites and Judges 4. Yet he hesitated and went forward only when Deborah encouraged him. Come on, do the work of God! So now it's all written up in the Bible. What, what he, but he had to be encouraged, kicked out. Go on, yes you can! Remember I tell you all the time, I'd get phone calls from all these people to minister and I'm about ready to form the word no and I look at Ruth and she's going, get out! Yes, you can. There, it's right there. Barack's going, and Deborah goes, yes. And out he went. And now he's written in in the hall of faith. How awesome would that be? How about Samson? He was used mighty of the Lord to defeat the Philistines. Yet he never lived up to his potential and had an unbelievable tragic ending to his life. After being enticed by Delilah. But God used him and he rose up at the end and struck a mighty match for God. His water started to boil. After sin robbed him of his eyes. And he's grinding the meal, chained. And he's starting to go, man, I shouldn't be doing this. My God is inside of me. He's filled me with power. And might, he gave me supernatural strength from the day I was born. When I asked Christ to come in my life, Godhead bodily resides in me. And he broke loose and did a work for God. Ordinary. Japheth. He was used of God to defeat the Amorites. Yet Japheth made a foolish vow and stubbornly kept it. You can read it in Judges 11. You do ding-dang dumb stuff. So did he. And yet God answered his prayer and used him mightily. Japheth. Judges 11. And we know about David, right? The great king of Israel. Israel was a remarkable man of faith, yet he also failed with Bathsheba and with his own family. His own family. Yet David was used by God. Struck a match for God. Ordinary folks. David had roving eyes, googling over uh, Bathsheba, taking a bath. And yet when God got a hold of him, he was used wonderfully and powerfully for God. How about in here? Any of those people? Among us, ordinary, factory workers, truck drivers, bank tellers, 
secretaries, teachers, homeschoolers, mamas, grandpas, anybody? And then he goes on and says, how much more do I need to say? I would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Listen, listen, they had no Bible. No Bible at all. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. You think the enemy wants us to start uniting and getting together and understanding prayer and we start sighting in like you guys do a deer season and you start sighting in on his kingdom. You take a couple cracks, little high right. You think he wants that? They subdued kingdoms, overthrew kingdoms. Ruled with justice. They did it right. Received what God had promised them. Do you understand the promises that you've been given? They received them. I don't know if there's any American Christians really in the promised land of God. Walking in those moving in it, finding those grapes. Are you kidding me? Look at the grapes, Ruth. Grapes! They shut the mouths of lions. We're going to destroy you. Hey, meet me for prayer. You go praying and you shut. God puts his mighty hands on those, those lines here. But usually when they roar, we're to... quench the flames of fire. Oh my gosh. Do you understand this? These are ordinary people. Quench the flames of fire, escape the death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. The Lord did this. He touched these ordinary people, these weaklings, these sissy pastors, and they became strong. They became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. She's like, all my saved life, the church has been doing this. And we're getting picked off. We're so-and-so, didn't they used to serve God? Until someone gets touched by God and they go, I'm done running. And they start, you come to me with a giant sword, and I'm coming to you in the spirit of the Lord. One person took out Goliath. How about this one as we wind down here? Women received their dead raised to life again. 
You send your man out to battle for God. You find out he's dead. You intercede and you cry out. He's dead in heart. His love for God is growing cold. You cry out and he raises back up to life again. Because of your prayers. Don't give up on him. Raise the dead back to life. How awesome would that be? I mean, if you're in a full-blown war, there's me and my sons and my son-in-laws, and pew, Adam's down. I'm going, Adam! But the war rages, and pew, the next thing I turn and look, he's back up again. Raise the dead. I believe God does that. When you are touched by him, ordinary people placed in his battle, God does extraordinary things. women received their dead raised to life again others who were tortured listen to this tortured not accepting deliverance denied Christ never I'll kill your son I'll see him later you know that went on oh my gosh what This only comes by when you really dive into the only weapon we have, and that's prayer. My house shall be what? What? A house of prayer. Is it in our nation? So how did we make, how did we let the ball fumble on prayer to being one of the lesser things? We have concerts, we have skits. Plays, jokesters. Our only weapon. <clears throat> Remember, I mentioned a long time ago, I wish I'd have thought about it. I've passed them out. I might still one day pass out extensions to everybody and tell you, tie it around your waist. Do you remember that? Not too many of you do. The whole idea was that extension, that plug, that's supposed to be plugged into the power of God just dangles. You go about your life every day trying to make your own decisions, hack out your living, trying to be holy when you can't, because we can't, and all God is waiting for you to do is to plug that bad boy in. That just dangles on you, on all of us. And a couple of us get together and touch, we go, whoa, what's this? Well, that's called a prayer meeting. They used to have them years ago. Don't you know that's why there was midweek services was you gathered to pray. It's so far removed. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. I'd rather die for Christ than fail. I'd rather die for Christ than sit home and do nothing. says that they might obtain a better resurrection. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, O yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. Just take the 
the whole circle that he went through, moaning and complaining, where are you? Where the heck's that compassion you always showed us? To come down! Lord, you're our potter. I'm just a lump of clay. Don't be angry with us, Lord. That's all I could think of when those babies wouldn't stop. Don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us. We pray. See that we are your people. I do. I do that. On Wednesday, I say, Lord, look. Look at us. Look, Lord. Remember that one song? Here I am down on my knees. Here, look. Here we are, Lord. Don't be angry with us forever. Oh, there are wonders in prayer because there are so many wonders in God. Can we kill the lights again? This is going to be our altar call time. I have a song selected through the computer so that our own band, we tend to forget about them, march them up here all the time, but so they can fall on their face and they can ask God to do something special. When we call upon God, when you really and truly call upon God, something happens. Something special will happen. That sweet song, something supernatural will happen. But remember this, depends on the character of the one who's saying. We kill this light here too, please. Maybe just the back wall lights on so people can see walking. The rest, Teresa, can you start that song, please? This is our altar call time. I'm asking you, hopefully you were stirred and pricked by the Spirit of God that you'll start to believe when you come something special, supernatural will happen. Light. Like